Welcome to the Business Leader Podcast. My name is Serena, and today our guest is the founder of Sean Marie, a UK-based premium loungewear company. She is a media personality with over 100,000 followers on Instagram and was the winner of the hit BBC show, The Apprentice, in 2018. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to receive the latest episodes. And now it's time to welcome Sean Gabadon to the podcast. Welcome, Sean. It's a pleasure to have you here with us today. Hi, thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Let's first dive into a question about your business journey. So can you tell us a bit about your journey to this point? Yeah, sure. I will actually start pre The Apprentice because most people only know my journey since The Apprentice and obviously since winning it, you know, getting the investment. But I actually started my brand very, very organically, very small scale, basically just from my bedroom. So I studied fashion with marketing and production at university at Huddersfield Uni. When I finished university and during the time there, I kind of was advised, you know, to make it in this industry. You're going to have to move to London. And I was quite boldly told, you know, you will not be successful unless you're in London. And I'm from a very humble Leeds background. London wasn't really an option. I didn't really have the funds to do that either. So I was like, no, I'm going to stick to Leeds and just see what I can do here. And to be fair, they were right. It was difficult. There wasn't many jobs. There wasn't much here in terms of fashion. So I actually started working out in marketing. And whilst I was working a full-time job for a marketing agency, I set up an Instagram page, just not for a particular reason. It was more of a personal page. And I had a sewing machine at home and I used to just make little bits of clothing. Obviously, I'd learned how to actually produce clothing. So I'd make bikinis and I'd make, you know, dresses, whatever else. And I just used to use this Instagram page to post these bits that I'd been making. And it started to just get a little bit of traction. So I started to get, you know, messages from people like, oh, I really like this. Do you think you can make me one? And quite quickly, I realised, okay, this could just be like a little kind of little side hustle. You know, never really like this could be a big business. It was just this could just make me a little bit of money on the side whilst I'm working. And that happened. I just slowly, you know, grew this Instagram page, grew a bit of a a following. And I then started to get traction and messages from the likes of stylists. So like celeb stylists and Instagram was very organic back then. You know, you didn't have paid ads, things like that. So I had this one time where I had a stylist message to say, I've got this big celeb. She was massive at the time. She's going on holiday and she needs some bikinis. And I was like, oh, my God, yeah, like spent about two weeks making every bikini on my page, made it to her size, everything, sent everything out. And then I didn't hear anything for ages. So I was like, "Okay, probably just being scammed, you know, whatever. And then she wore two of them on holiday. It was January time. So I remember it being early in the year. She wore a couple of the bikinis, posted, tagged us on socials. And it just blew up from there, really. Just then it was like, okay, this is a business. Like, I can't handle orders through Instagram DMs. I'm going to need a platform. I'm going to need a website. So my journey started very small scale and very organically. And even then, I didn't have investment. You know, I couldn't splurge out thousands of pounds on websites. Everything at the early stage was was very much self-taught. You know, I learned how to build websites. I did courses in WordPress and website building, everything. I was covering all of the areas of that business myself. And, you know, I just slowly started to get more and more traction. Uh, I was still working full time. Working full time allowed me to pay what I needed to pay and not have to worry about, you know, this little business I was creating and worry about how much money I was making. It gave me that security. It just meant I was getting up at five in the morning 
making my bikinis, going to work, spending my lunch in a post office, posting everything. It was just a long, you know, long couple of years of like hard work. But I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, it, what I do is my passion. So it just got to a point where I was like, okay, this is a, a sturdy little business. And then The Apprentice, I'm a massive fan of the show. I always have been, me and my dad would watch it. And that came around. I was like, right, I'm going to give it a go this year. I've got the credentials to uh, obviously went on the show, won the show, got the investment. And since then, you know, the business has gone from this small scale little bedroom brand to retail ready. There was so much that, you know, I had to learn about, to change, to integrate into the business. We had to, you know, become ready to sell to retail. And that in itself is a challenge. And, you know, we've just grown ever since it's been tough with covid has been an absolute killer and it was a killer for a lot of businesses but i guess over the years you know i've grown with the business and i guess that's my journey so far very top line <laughs> yeah definitely and it's definitely an aspirational story especially hearing that you started in your bedroom making the bikinis at your sewing machine and it's grown from there i think a lot of people especially business founders and founders of startup business can really look at that story as being something to aspire to. What was it like going from living in Leeds and not being in the public eye to being in the public eye essentially overnight? And how do you think this impacted your business trajectory? Yeah, so to go from kind of unknown to then, you know, you're on a TV show and then especially kind of as you moved along with the show and progressed and then ended up getting into the final I think the final was watched by like nine million people so it was just like wow I'm going out and people want pictures with me and it, it was weird amazing but weird I think what was probably more difficult from my perspective and I'm, I'm sure that other apprentice candidates and winners would agree that because it's a business show and to win it it's not like going on a reality show where you know you just come out and then you get deals or you do this you that. I won and then had an investment that was real. I had to use this investment for the business. So you kind of had to juggle this weird transition of becoming almost a celebrity and famous, but then still having this task at hand of, okay, I've now got this huge investment and I've got this small business that I, you know, I need to grow. Obviously, having the visibility um, was amazing for myself for the brand you know for, for our positioning especially in terms of like retailers it really helped us get in front of some retailers become a bit more of a known brand so I can only say it was you know it was a really good thing but a very strange thing to adapt to when you used to just being you know just the girl from Leeds like a very normal humble person um, and not just for me you know as well you think about family and friends like it was weird for, for family, uh, you know, my mum and dad and my boyfriend adjusting to kind of being known as well or, or everybody kind of knowing my business. It's a very strange situation to be in, but I can only say in terms of business, it was a great PR and awareness piece, of course, you know, nine million eyes on your business is, you know, it's invaluable, really. Going on the show and getting, I guess, more social media following and that kind of thing. Do you feel as though that was more valuable than the investment itself or were they just different in terms of the impact that it had on the business? It had pros and cons, I guess, in some ways. It's so bizarre because 
at the time of the apprentice and especially like towards the final when you've got websites and things where you can actually track analytics you're looking like oh my god we had the most views ever on our website last night like at the final but the more that you learn about the value of the eyes you get on a website especially as a fashion brand you kind of look at it and say it's great that we got that visibility and we had so many people on that site but then if we're wanting to retarget them with ads or with you know the pool of people who would potentially actually buy our product is completely different to the amount of eyes that we would have had on the page because these are apprentice fans who are just being nosy at times and want to see what's going on and what products we sell but as an awareness piece obviously it's cost nothing in that sense and it's still got a lot of people on the page but I think as I've grown as well with the brand, it's just crazy how you you start to understand the value of a of a customer and keeping that customer and bringing them back. You know, you'd be better off having 100 people on your website who will buy than a thousand people who are probably not that interested in buying. They just want to see what's going on. So, yeah, it was amazing to have the eyes and it was invaluable in the sense that it didn't cost anything. It was just learning how to use that database as a brand to try and convert in some ways. Of course, you won that series in 2018 and so you achieved that investment. But last year, you ended your partnership with Lord Sugar and the partnership that you had won. What was the reasoning for that ending? It was ended amicably, completely amicably, yeah. You know, we'd been together for, I think it'd been three, four years. You know, he obviously had invested. The business had grown very quickly over a fair short period of time in terms of, you know, going from like small scale. We had a few seamstresses working initially to then mass production, you know, overseas production. Just so much had gone on and got into big retails like ASOS and House of Fraser and Asda. But I think it just got to a point where I was ready to to do my own thing and to you know progress in my own way we had a tough year with covid it was for many business but especially the fashion industry the swimwear industry specifically you know a uk swimwear brand which we were it was a very very difficult time and a time where diversifying was key i had to do something for us to survive regardless of how much investment we had as you you need to see from a lot of business it didn't really matter So then to come out of the back end of that and, you know, looking at just myself and where I'm at now in my life and what I want to do, um, you know, it was just kind of time for me to say, I think it's, you know, I appreciate everything that we've been through, but I'm ready to do my thing now. Um, So it was completely amicable. And yeah, it's all good. I just want to pick up on something that you said about the pandemic and the impact that it had on the business. And now we are moving into a recession and the cost of living crisis. So consumer spending is changing. And so for a lot of retail and fashion businesses like yourself, you will be having to face the challenges that come along with that. So how are you preparing yourselves as a business to face this challenge? Yeah, it's it's a difficult time. And, you know, if I think about it as a business, you know, for the past three years have been a crazy three years for all businesses because there's been so much to, to handle. And, you know, I do a lot of public speaking and motivational speaking and I talk a lot about resilience and overcoming hurdles. I would have never even understood the hurdles that would have come with the business, given the situation and the things that have happened in the last few years. You know, as I've mentioned, COVID was a really tough time. We had to diversify, adapt, do whatever we had to do to survive. And then to come out of the back end of that, 
where things are still completely unstable realistically and to now be you know in recession and with the cost of living crisis as a fashion brand even to diversify and say okay we now offer loungewear we have this premium loungewear you know the cost of living crisis it doesn't matter what type of product we offer as a fashion brand it doesn't necessarily mean that it would work you know at the end of the day people need to be able to afford to pay the bills and their essentials we talk about clothing they need essential clothing but are they wanting to fork out on premium products especially when we think about luxury fashion brands like it's a, it's it's a tough time and it will be a tough time and who knows how long this will last um similar to covid you kind of have to look at it as a survival mode i think when I first won the apprentice and got the investment, the key was growth, 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 growth. We want to be big. I want to do this, that and the other. COVID hit and it was just about survival. And I think now it's, it's not necessarily about growth, growth, growth. It's just about being smart. One thing that I am big on and, you know, last year and especially through to this year, it's working smarter over working hard because you can kill yourself as a CEO and as a business owner. And I have done for years, even pre the investment you work long hours, you know, it's very stressful. Social media paints a completely different picture to what it really is to run a business. And at some point you have to say, do I need to kill myself for this to work? Like, am I working hard versus working smart? And looking at, you know, the brand and what I want to do moving forward, it's about being smart with decisions. And it's not about working every hour God sends, it's just about making the right decisions being efficient, you know, focusing on profits over everything else in some ways and not necessarily pushing the growth side, just about, you know, making the smart moves. A lot of fashion brands at this period of time, especially considering that fashion is becoming more of a saturated market, will be looking for new ways to stand out and really pave their way in the market. Do you have any advice for fashion brands on how they can stand out? One thing that I've learned across the journey I've had, you know, we've gone from a swimwear brand to predominantly loungewear now. And, you know, diversifying was something that had to be done because of COVID. Understanding the loungewear industry now versus swimwear, that was the best move that we ever made, the best pivot that we ever did. So I have to kind of thank COVID for that in some ways. But I think what it allowed us to do as well in terms of as a brand is give ourselves like a position and find who we are and have our own identity in that sense. Not that we couldn't with swimwear, but all of the fashion markets are saturated. But with loungewear, it just allowed us to have a bit of a voice of this is who we are and this is why you would buy into us. There might be another brand that sells similar products, but this is, you know, you instantly get a feel of who we are from our content from the website from our story you know and the products we sell and the fabrics and the finishes and the qualities so I think the key as a as any type of fashion brand is to have an identity that is not necessarily taking over the world but it just gives you something a reason why people would want to buy from you and come back our key thing is our quality you know the quality of our lounge is top top notch and that was the key thing I wanted to do same with the swimwear in some ways but I just kind of wanted to bridge the gap between luxury, loungewear, and, you know, we are by no means fast fashion, cheap, like that is not what I wanted to do. But I wanted to offer it at a very fair price. Um, so people buy it and go, wow, this is worth what I've paid. And it's not particularly expensive, you know, we're kind of midway. And even if we were to be, you'd see it as more of an investment. You buy in a sweatshirt, it's going to last you a long, long, long time. You know, it's not a one wear type of product. 
you know, and that's kind of the key message that we push. And I don't just mean that as in verbally and, and in copy, as in through our imagery, that's what we try and convey, the fact that it's good quality, you know, it's worth buying. It's easy to say as well, you know, I think some owners would say, but I don't understand how I do that. It's just working out what you want from your brand, you know, what you want your message to be, what type of clothing you want to sell. Um, and I think we've hit that, you know, that nail on the head and it's perfect now. It's exactly where it needs to be in terms of loungewear. That's the hardest part. I think it's finding that and then you can promote it and then you can really grow. So we touched on earlier when you were describing your your business journey, how your first break was seeing your bikinis being worn in the Daily Mail and that really kind of plummeted you a little bit into the public eye and and got you some some traction. But you also, on your personal account, have over 100,000 followers on Instagram. So how important is it for your business, for you as a person to cultivate your own personal brand? Really important. It's a funny one for me because I have been on a TV show if I imagine that I hadn't been on a show and I was still the CEO of Chamarine, my personal brand would convey the message 100% of what the brand is conveying, but just in a personal format. You know, I would very much be a, a mirror of my brand. Um, you know, this is who I am and this is, I live and breathe this. And this is kind of the vibe that matches me. I think because I've been on a show, it's it's got more of a mixed message. And I do more than just, you know, I'm, I'm more than just a CEO and a founder. I do consulting and I do public speaking and I you know I'm very big on um speaking to the younger generation and talking about the importance of education and there's a lot of factors that I think being then the winner of a show and the winner of a show like The Apprentice being a black female you know being a fairly young I mean I'm not as young as I was when I won it but I'm still quite young in the sense of I get a lot of younger girls and guys even saying oh you know I look up to you and I want to be like you when I'm older so for me, there's a responsibility there in my own personal branding that I, you know, understand that and that I can match that. And, you know, I love that I can be that person and I'm very proud that I can be in that winning the show and being that person to win it allows me to be, I guess, an, an inspiration to some people. So my personal brand is, you know, it's very important for more than just me. And as I get older, all I want to do really is help others. I want to be the founder, have a successful brand. and be able to speak to youth, be able to speak to the younger generation and inspire them and tell them a story that's not necessarily the typical, stereotypical business journey. You know, I'm, I'm a young woman in business. Uh, I'm from a humble background. I went on a TV show, which is a bit of a funny one. You know, people would say, well, that doesn't happen to everyone. No, it doesn't. But my business started before that too. So I like the fact that I can give that account and tell them how it started from nothing, you know, no investment. It wasn't that I sat one day and said, right, I'm going to set this business up. It just happened very organically. And using the platforms that everybody can now use, granted it's different, you know, it's not how it used to be. It's not as organic as it used to be on a lot of social platforms, but everybody has the opportunity to use those and to utilise them as best that they can. Luckily for me, I did it at the start. Um, but, you know, we have new platforms popping up every now and then and it's like jump on them, you know, and, and understanding that the like knowledge is power. I'd like to class myself as self-taught in some ways. Obviously, I did my degree and I learned how to produce clothing and learned about marketing. But there were a lot of elements I didn't learn at university that I have since 
or had since you know done courses on or listened to podcasts on just understood how important it was to soak up every little bit of knowledge and education you know that I possibly could I think that's key and I'd say that's one reason why I I wouldn't say excelled in business but why I understood business because I've never been taught business and it's not something that I learned at uni or anything like that but because I understand a lot of the areas to my business when there's an issue or you know if I hire someone who isn't quite right for the job I can quite quickly understand it because I know every area you know I'm not an expert at building websites but I understand building websites I'm not an expert at graphic design but I can design I can use all of the different platforms that you need to using examples of working with agencies now working with agencies is difficult because they can be horrendous some can be really good and a lot of top level whether it's CEOs uh, managing directors whatever it is they might not be attached enough to that specific area for example if it is a marketing agency to know whether they're doing a good job or not other than them saying what's going on what are the results what are the analytics but they won't see the way that I see it, you know, if I see banners being designed and I'm like, these aren't great, I can kind of see that. And I think that's why, you know, consulting and being able to help other businesses is another kind of key area that I focus on because I've already had those battles. I can already see when somebody's pitching, if I'm like, this is not going to work, like, stop, you're selling me a dream, it's not real. Yeah, that definitely is a power of being very heavily involved in every aspect of your business from the beginning and sort of building it from the ground up. But yeah, like you said, your business journey is quite unconventional in the way that you are public facing. And that's something that I think a lot of founders don't necessarily have for themselves. Do you ever find yourself wanting to turn that part of your life off? Or maybe, you know, do you ever find yourself wanting to delete your Instagram? Because I guess there's a sense of responsibility and upkeep that's involved in that aspect of of your business life I think um I would say that the apprentice heightened things in good ways and bad as in it felt like especially for like the first year like all eyes were on you and sometimes not in good ways you know you get you get negative comments you get trolls but even aside from that then trying to run a business there was an almost a feeling of sometimes people want you to fail and it not to work and, you know, that's hard to kind of navigate. You're not only thinking about that, you've got like a million other things that you're trying to do and you've got this business and you're like, OK, what am I going to do next? And you're planning and plotting. In terms of like social media and trolling and, and you know, maybe wanting to turn off, turn it off at times. I think one of the key things for me is I have a really good support system, family, boyfriend, friends, any kind of negativity on socials is I don't really see it or get involved and you know that is one thing that I would say the apprentice teaches you as well is like just ignore it uh, especially on certain platforms where it's like you cannot not see it uh, and you know it's disheartening whatever people are saying because you don't even know them they don't know you they, they know you based on what they've seen on tv for example so you know great thing is to just switch off but for me, I see the importance of having a platform. And I think one of the important things on, you know, on my platforms is to keep it real, be honest, and not just show people the business side of me, but who I am as a person. You know, I'm, I'm still a normal girl who likes music, who likes this, who likes that. A lot of people just know you as the business person off The Apprentice. And because it's quite a formal show, uh, you know, the structure of it is very kind of the same every year. You know, I, I founded a fashion brand, so I am that brand. I'm not just 
a business owner with a briefcase that wears a suit. I'm very much, you know, the type of brand that I own. So I think it's important to be able to use socials to just show a bit of your real side and people to get to actually know you aside from what they've seen on TV and make their own opinion of you based on that if they want to. But I guess the other side is I'm I'm not really bothered about what people think about me because I know I'm a good person. My friends do, my family do. And that's the main thing. And it always has been for me. So I've always been quite good at detaching, I think, from social media and from negativity and just knowing who I am and putting my focus on the areas that really matter. And that's what I always say to, especially if, you know, like the new series of The Apprentice is on. Um, and if ever I speak to the candidates or, you know, winners, it's always the same of like, you've got so much to worry about, like other people's opinions is really, really low on your priority list or it should be. I just want to pick up on something that you mentioned, which I'm quite surprised at, is that the public would look at your journey, your business journey, and some people would want you to fail, which must be quite difficult to deal with. Would you say because of the unconventional route in which you achieved investment and you achieved business growth, that other business founders maybe looked at the business or looked at your journey and diminished it in any way? Or did you largely receive support from the business community? I'd say you get support more from the business community because I think they appreciate The Apprentice, you know, most do. And as well, I think business owners probably understand how hard business is in general. So, you know, one of the things for me, before I went on the show, I used to watch it and criticise the same way everybody does. And I'm like, why did they pick that name? Oh, these people are like stupid. But when you're on the show and you get to know all of the candidates, you know, and you're living in the house, you get to know their businesses, their ideas. Every single person on the show is credible in their own way whether we see it or not on tv they are all credible and to get onto the show you have to be ticking certain boxes in terms of from a business perspective or you know an entrepreneurial perspective so regardless of what you see on tv the credible people and i think you usually see that then when they whether they leave or at the end of the show you know on their linkedin pages or their own personal social media pages they're usually promoting something whether it's the business their idea and you know, you have to give them credit for that because the show is a TV show and people class it as a reality show, although I don't as much because it's more businessy, it's real, you know, you get a real investment at the end. But whatever your opinion is on on the show, you know, these people are still going on looking for an investment and every single one of them will have a business plan behind them because you'd have to to get on the show. So I think other business owners would appreciate that regardless of how they appear on the tasks and the performances on the tasks and the terrible names that they might think of they would appreciate that they are still entrepreneurs and I think in this day and age we have to appreciate that entrepreneurs come in all shapes sizes variations you know it's not like it used to be it's not a stereotypical businessman women black white we cover all bases and I do find it interesting you know now I mean you look at the apprentice coming on and you'd see some comments that say oh, you know, it's just like the Love Island cast. And one of my arguments to that is, does it matter, first off, what anybody looks like? And secondly, what do we stereotype as a credible business person? Do they look a certain way? It doesn't matter, does it, you know? So I'm going on a bit of a tangent, I guess, with that. But I think, yeah, in this day and age, I think as a business owner, anyone who classes themselves as an entrepreneur, you know, you have to give them credit because they are 
thinking outside the box, the wanting to better themselves. And I think you have to appreciate anyone who's trying to do something that betters themselves, not judge them. <laughs> That's uh, really important to remember. Thank you, Sean, for your insight on that. Now, I do want to just talk about the fashion industry. And you have said that uh, as a brand, you oppose fast fashion. And that's something that you think is quite unethical, uh, which is a growing issue, you know, fast fashion and its impact on the environment. How do you ensure as a brand that your supply chain and the production of your clothing is ethical? Is that quite a difficult thing to ensure? And what do you do to to make sure that you're not just paying a lip service, for example? Obviously, it's of massive importance for, for all fashion brand owners. I think what's really good about my situation and the way that we've grown is that I've, I mean, I'm involved in every step. And, you know, we went from, as I said, seamstresses in-house to then having to locate factories, um, whether that's UK, international. But any time that we do anything like that, I will always go out to visit the factories, to see them with my own eyes, to meet the CEOs, to see the seamstresses, to actually ensure that what I'm being told is what is happening. And I think that's of massive importance. Now, I understand with huge, huge business and as you grow, it's not always, you know, you know you're not always to do be able to do that. Um, but I do think that that is one of the key things because it's so easy to even to be recommended, you know, whether it is factories or whatever, whoever you're working with, who you can't physically see, um, it's very easy to be sold the dream again and be like, oh, wow, perfect, amazing. Uh, and I think the other side, you know, from my perspective, it's not always about getting something the absolute cheapest. It's making sure that the ethics side of it is is spot on. And the quality, the finish, the fabrics, the everything is what I want it to be and it represents who we are as a brand. We was the same with swimwear, um, but as we merge into loungewear, as I've mentioned, the fabrics and the quality and the finish, that is like the key driver. That is what we class as our USP. You know, it's top level. We just aren't charging the top level price because I, I think it's fair that people can buy a sweatshirt for a reasonable price that will last them a long time. And that's the problem I have with fast fashion. We're kind of creating a, a world now where, you know, young girls feel the need to buy clothes every single week or every day or whatever um, that are not going to last them long. So they might say, oh, well, it only cost me £10, but the amount you're going to end up spending because you're buying a piece that's going to wear wear once, you're going to end up spending more on that than you would if you just invested in a piece that was timeless. Um, and that's one of my key bugbears is that we've got this generation coming through that won't understand necessarily the value of products because they're so used to just buying cheap cheap things and you know that's why with my brand especially as we as we move into lounge it's like let's bring some products that people will keep coming back for but that will last them the test of time we have a lot of returning customers because they're happy with the quality the finish the styling you know we'll do a tracksuit in a couple of colors and you'll have a customer buy every single color because they're like it's so good like and it will last and it's cozy and it's you know as a brand owner and as a fashion brand owner, especially, that's the biggest pat on the back for me. If somebody's come back to buy something again, they're happy with it. That's what you want, right? You know, you want people who are happy with the product, who want to wear it with pride. And, you know, and it ticks all the boxes for them. And I think fast fashion is a, it's, yeah, it's it's very unethical in, in many, many ways. In that same vein, do you then think there needs to be a collective psychological shift in the way consumers purchase clothing and do you think 
that's likely to happen in our lifetime? I think there does, yeah. I, I think it's an interesting one because I would say that as you get older, I think you become more aware of sustainability and ethics, especially when it comes to fashion. Um, and I could probably agree, even I'm the same, you know, pre-business, you know, as I've got older, I've understood the importance and and I guess how bad fast fashion, you know, can be. And I think it's an, an education piece that the younger generation should be learning it sooner. I do think that nowadays, though, we have got more aware like a generation coming through that are more aware of all areas, not just fast fashion and fashion in general, but just all of the key kind of political areas that they're very well educated on it. I just think we need more of that. We need it to happen from a younger age. So they understand the importance of, like I said, maybe you spend a little bit more on something, but it's more of an investment. It's going to last you a longer time. So it makes more sense to do that than to be buying something every day where you might end up spending actually more in the end. Um, and then, you know, the impacts on the environment, all of those things, I just think that there does need to be a shift. But I think that boils down to, as I think about a lot of things, it boils down to education. And when I have children, I will be educating them on a lot of things that I probably learned as I got older from a young age. So they understand it and they can just implement it into their way of life, I guess, as they, as they grow up. Now, I do want to touch on your own leadership style. And so obviously knowing about your journey, you went from, you know, a one person business in your bedroom to now owning your own business with, you know, people under you. How have you developed your own leadership style and what do you think is, you know, a really important characteristic to have as a leader? It's interesting. It's an interesting question because I worked for corporates before setting up my brand. So I've worked for agencies. I actually worked for Asda for a, a period of time, which was funny because I ended up then actually selling my product to them. But I've worked for a multitude of companies where the leadership styles have kind of been varied. And I think I've probably learned from some of them good and bad. And then just had my own view on it as, I guess, maybe a younger view and more, more understanding of the environment we live in, the re real life rather than being too rigid with, you know, ex yeah, these five top tips for leadership. I like to be exactly how I was when I was on The Apprentice. I'm pretty laid back, but I get the job done. And I understand the level of when you need to ramp it up a little bit versus when you can be more relaxed, understanding that you want to build relationships with staff to a level, but you want to get the best out of them, whether that's staff, agency, whoever it is that you're working with. But the end goal always has to be the same and they have to buy into your brand. I am my brand. And, you know, one thing that all business owners will tell you is, you know, you understand quite quickly that staff agency, no one will ever care about your brand as much as you care because it's not less at the end of the day. They will be invested, but they're not as invested as you. And you have to understand that from an early stage. You have to under understand the importance of employing the right people you know that can be difficult getting the right agencies I've touched on it it can be a nightmare and you can get it so wrong agency probably more so because everyone will sell sell you the dream and not many of them can actually do what they're saying they're going to do so my leadership style yeah if I boil it back to the question I, I'm I'm pretty relaxed but I always understand the goal ahead I like to get people who will buy into my brand, my story and where I want the brand to go and understand the journey and want to be on that journey with me. It's also hard actually being off 
the apprentice having the connection to Lord Sugar because that can cloud things as well. You know, you kind of can sometimes just have fans of the show and you're like, I need someone who's good at the job. <laughs> oh, I need someone who actually knows what they're doing in this field, not is just obsessed with The Apprentice and Lord Sugar and the fact that I won it. So, yeah, I'd say it's just about being like a modern day leader. And I think a modern day leader doesn't necessarily have rules. There's no specific thing that works. It's just about moulding to your environments, but always being that that leader and always having the respect of anyone that is working under you, I guess. What qualities do you think are maybe lacking in today's leaders? It's a big question because there's so many different types of leaders. I think it boils down to the type of leader that you are. I would always promote the fact that I am maybe more laid back than I am shouty and it's a stereotypical boss. That's probably my worst type of leader or super corporate. I think one key thing for me is like, everybody understanding what is going on on a layman's terms perspective as well so god if I think about agencies you know the jargon that gets used sometimes even when we we were in pitch meetings and the pitching to work with us for example and they're using all the jargon and I understand it all because I've worked in that industry but I'm kind of at times like forget that forget the craft just tell me what you're going to do and tell me how we're going to implement it and tell me what the goal is I don't need to spend two hours on a call where you're talking about things that are unnecessary, like get to the point. And that's very much how, I guess, how Lord Sugar is as well. It's kind of like, just get to the point. What are we doing? Okay, let's crack on. And I think that's quite key is, you know, being able to just get to that and do what you need to do. I think sometimes, yeah, you have the kind of jargon bus, the, the corporates who are overly corporate, and then you get the, just the stereotypical leaders where they're overly, I don't know how you describe it, overly shouting and it's too much. And it's like, you know, people dread being in the office when they're around. And I understand. And I also, you know, I agree that you have to have a level of professionalism. There has to be a bit of a fear there because they need to be doing their job and that's what they're there for, in essence. But people have to enjoy being in that working environment and be comfortable and be as efficient as possible. And that's what's key. It's understanding that's how you get the best out of the staff or the agencies you're working with or whatever. So I'm not for the shouty leaders or the overly corporate leaders. Be real and let people buy into that, you know. That's really important. Uh, thanks for sharing your insight, Sean. And that brings us to the last section of the podcast. It's now time for a very special segment. We've teamed up with the Jill Dando News Centre to bring you the Good News Postcard. Your question today comes from Mark, age 14, and he asks... Hi, I'm Mark and I'm part of the Jill Dando News Centre. My question is, if you could live in any decade other than this one, which would it be and why? Oh, that was a big question. Um, Okay, Mark, let me just have a second to think about this because... If I answer this question, I'm not answering it anything to do with business or anything. It's just on preference. So my parents are, well, they were born in the 60s. But from music taste, from culture, from the way that things were, and from what they always talk about, the 80s is probably the decade I would like to have been born in if I could have. I was born in the 90s. I love the 90s. But the 80s. For me, I think the music, the vibe, 
the music 100% like I will listen to that music probably more than I would any other decade anyway now I mean I could touch on business and the opportunity there especially from a fashion perspective as well it's a big area for fashion but I think overall I would yeah I would 100% choose the 80s and I'd be like wacky with my outfits and just into like 80s R&B music and yeah definitely the 80s yeah, that's a really great answer, especially from the fashion perspective. Um, and yeah, the music as well. That's a, that's a really good answer. Thank you, Sean. And now our final question for you today. So we are Business Leader Magazine. And this question is, what makes a great business leader? Okay, so from my perspective and from my journey and from how I've got to where I, I have, um, I would say what makes a great leader is somebody who is knowledgeable, knows their industry inside out and who can get over hurdles so can find the answers where they don't have the answers because in business that happens every single day someone who can learn how to get the best out of their staff or the people that are working underneath them who can create an efficient working environment that people are happy comfortable and can do the best work that they can in um, someone who is agile, who can adapt. I mean, we've had to diversify and adapt through pandemics and now with recession, we're still going to have to be adapting and changing and making tweaks and doing things that are, you know have the business's best interests at heart, definitely being agile. And I guess I could say overcoming adversity, which I guess I touched on as, as well before. So, you know, if you've got people say you're not going to be able to do things, if you have hurdles, things that you you know, you don't know if you're going to get over. I think being a leader is you, you get through them. You know, you find a way through because there will always be an option. I think when you look at businesses and um, entrepreneurs, what you generally find is small businesses, you know, m- like I don't know the percentages, but high percentage of them fail. Because in my opinion, a lot of business owners get to a stage and they say, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what the next step is. And they say, I'm just going to leave it. Or, you know, I'm just going to go back to corporate working or back to my full-time job. I think the ones that persist, you know, the ones that find solutions, that never stop, that always find a way through things, those are the key leaders and they're the owners that then move on to more success. Although I would counter that by, say, certain things at the moment, COVID and then the recession, there's such bizarre situations that it doesn't always mean that that will work. But, you know, I think it's just having that, yeah, it's having that resilience and being ruthless where you have to be, but still being a good person. You know, I will always be, and I and I am a good person, and no matter where I get to in, in the world of business, I will always be a nice person, pleasant person, and humble. Staying humble is massive. Great. Thank you so much for sharing with us today your knowledge and insight, Sean, and for joining us on our podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you. And do you have any final words for the audience, and where can they find you on social media? I think I've covered off so much. I feel like I've just spoke for so long, but hopefully, you know, that's given given people a bit of insight and, you know, insight into my head and my journey and whatever else. I have my own website, so it's shangabidon.com. As I mentioned, motivational speaking, public speaking. I also do bits of business consulting as well for people that need help because I absolutely get it. And there's so many people out there that do things like that that it's just not good. And I do bits of presenting work and stuff as well. And I obviously, you know, I still have my brand, um, which is shamaroo.com, which is premium loungewear. So for all those people who are working from home who need to stay cosy, 
and not be wearing the suits all day every day. You know, we have the perfect products that are at fair price as well. So thank you very much for having me on today. It's been great chatting. Thank you very much for having me on today. It's been great chatting.